I don't want kids that their degree is their backup plan. I don't want kids that baseball is their backup plan. We talk about that they're both plan A at BCU. That was BC head coach Mike Gambino. He'll be our next guest on the Base Path Podcast. Welcome to the Base Path Podcast, brought to you by New England Baseball Journal. I'm Dan Guttenplan, alongside Matt Feld. Today's guest is the coach of one of New England's top college programs, BC head coach Mike Gambino. A BC alumnus, Gambino has led the Eagles through their most successful stretch in program history since his hire in 2010. Coach, thanks so much for joining us in studio. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And, uh... And thanks for everything that you do for college baseball, amateur baseball, both in New England and nationally. It's we, we, as a baseball industry, appreciate what you all do. I appreciate you saying that. So this this interview falls kind of a weird part in the college season because you're about to send guys home after a successful fall season. What did the fall look like for you guys? And um, is this just a point in the year where you're just writing out lineups to yourself? Like, hey, how does this look? What's the pitching staff going to look like? Yeah, the weird thing in the college baseball calendar from a coaching standpoint this time of year, the guys are going into finals. So yesterday was actually the last day that we were able to have them all together. The timing's weird because your ramp-ups is basically starting here pretty soon, right? Give or take, they come back January 15th and open up February 15th. Those aren't the exact dates, but as we're coming into our December 15th, right? So your build-up is starting now, and they're also kind of going away for a month. So it's a little bit of a weird time. I love... The group that we have, and I love the sort of the culture within our group, is really special in that I don't have any worry or any fear. It's never something that we worry about. Are our guys going to come back ready? It's a tremendously driven and tremendously hard working group. From a college coach standpoint, this time time of year is always weird because you try to like jam everything into December, into those couple months, because the rest of your year can tend to be so crazy. So all the all the marketing stuff, all the donuts, all that stuff just gets like crammed into into this month, and it's it's uh, you get you get it done, and then you get excited about when you come back for the for the new year and start talking baseball again. For people that don't know, just speak to the new Freddy's facility that you guys were able to build <coughs> recently, a new indoor facility, and and what sort of opportunities that provided you in your program. Yeah, it's 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 been a really exciting couple of years, and it's the timing of it is is really weird. It's funny. So we had a bunch of people on our campus this past summer that you would have thought would have seen the facilities. But you remember that we opened up the Harrington Athletic Village, and we, we were competing in the ACC, going to Super Regionals, having first-round draft picks without a full-time baseball field in our program up until four years ago. So we opened up the Harrington Athletic Village through construction, sort of end of 18 into 19. COVID hits in 20. We start construction on the Pete Frady Center, which opens up basically during COVID. So we have the Harrington Athletic Village, beautiful new stadium, the Pete Frady Center, and for the last year and a half, we haven't been able to have a lot of people around it and haven't been able to, to show it off. So it's really, really fun, exciting time getting people here. But the Pete Frady Center is a complete game changer. The ability of the locker room is, matches up with any locker room in the country. Beautiful players lounge for the guys to hang out. We feed them in there, bubble hockey, TVs, team meetings in there. Training room, weight room, that, like I said, will as well will match up with any place in the country. And then seven batting, t- batting tunnels up top that we have the ability to, to open up and, and widen out for whatever we need to get done in there. So when you combine the Pete Frady Center, the Harrington Athletic Village, and the bubble that we put over the football stadium, there's really nothing that we can do as far as helping our guys grow and develop on the field. And like I said, we showed, we've showed over the years that we have a knack for developing high-end talent. Our guys have tremendous success when they get into professional baseball, and a lot of that was done without these, even before we had these facilities. <coughs> 
Yeah, it's interesting because you need those types of facilities to compete in the ACC, right? Those programs, they all have them down down in the South. I've thought about that a lot with BC over the years. In terms of talent, like you're getting the best guys, you're getting first round picks, but it's so difficult to compete with those ACC schools because of their resources. And then also you're playing up here in the Northeast, which is a little bit of a uh, challenge in terms of recruiting. How do you feel about uh, being stacked against that competition in the ACC? What 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 is your level of, like, would you be interested in sticking with the ACC, or how do you feel about it? Well, let's go back to kind of the beginning of that question. I think for a while we were trying to compete without the facilities and resources. That's what we were doing here for nine years. We were trying to compete in the best baseball conference in the country with no facility and no resources. And the investment we've made in the last couple of years, what, what people are starting to see as they come and they visit and they see what we do and they, they they are saying what we have done with not much of anything and then what we're going to have the ability to do going forward that the idea that you have to – we are playing in a Southern League. The, the idea that you have to go south to find good college baseball, that's not the case anymore. That's a very – that's a 15-year kind of – 15 years ago that was a thing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like no, 20 years ago nobody really had facilities and resources up here. And now you look what, what we're doing here across the board and you look at the success that, you know – from Babson and UMass Boston to us and UConn and Northeastern, like across the board, you look at what Scotty LeWise is, LeWise is doing at SNU, like Northeast baseball, kids can come to the Northeast and grow and develop. And there's, so that, that thing that you have to get down South, is not really, it's not really a thing. And, and especially when you consider anything, when you come to BC, anything that you thought would have been an advantage of going South in the past, we have facilities, resources, commitment to baseball staff, that stuff. We have all this, and you play in the league, and you play most of your half your season down there. But we also have the all the advantages of being in the Northeast, and the whether it's the access to the medical, the access to Boston, the access to the professional sports around here. I mean, it's a special Boston's a special special place to live and to go to college. So to me, I kind of look at it as like we're your southern option in the Northeast in Boston. As far as competing in the ACC, we love it. We love it. It's you're facing playing against playing with and against big leaguers future big leaguers every day. It's going to be a grind. That Of our 14 teams in our league, legitimately any one of any one of our 14, you put them in the ACC tournament, could, I mean the NCAA tournament, could end up in Omaha, mm-hmm. right? And that's what we know in our league, and that's the fight and the grind, and that's what makes it so exciting. Do you, when, you are, when you're out recruiting, when you guys kind of create, you and your staff create a plan to approach recruiting year in and year out, do you feel like you are recruiting against other Northeastern school, schools in the Northeast for kids up here, or do you view it more as you're trying to recruit against your other ACC schools? Both. Yeah, it's both. The recruiting has become very national for multiple reasons. Right Again, you look at, you look at 20 years ago and you look at the roster from, from BC, from Seton Hall, from St. John's, from UConn. Most of the, the rosters 20 to 25 years ago were, for the most part, near campus. And, and two in the South picked whatever school Clemson's roster 25 years ago was largely within driving distance of Clemson. And that's just not the case. Everything has just gotten so national, a combination of video and technology and, and travel being either easier. So, yeah, we are. We are, I mean, over the last couple of years, I can tell you, I mean, even within the last six months, right, we've recruited and had kids that we were recruiting that are also looking at, you know, Northeastern and Harvard and Bryant and UConn and shortstop from California that came down to us in USC. So and and we're always recruiting against other ACC schools. The 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 kids that we recruit and we dive into the the model of the kid. It's a kid that wants to play in the big leagues. A kid that wants to go to Omaha. A kid that is tremendously driven on the baseball field, but also knows and understands the value of a Boston College degree. Right. I, 
I don't want kids that their degree is their backup plan. I don't want kids that baseball is their backup plan. We talk about that they're both plan A at BC. You're going to come here. We're going to do what we can to develop you on the field and off the field. And that's part of the core and at the heart of a Jesuit education is that idea of formation. Mm -hmm. Like, Can we help and make sure that these kids are reaching their potential across the board? So they're coming out of Even if you're coming out of here and our first and second round picks, if you look at the number of top five round picks we've had, we're going to have – We've got we had four straight years with a major league debut, looking like we're gonna have a fifth straight year with uh, a chance to have two major league debuts next year. There's not many places in the country that go five straight years with a major league debut, but those kids also know and understand how valuable this degree is, even when you're done with your major league career, whether you whether you get to the big leagues or not. Yeah, that makes me think of the transfer portal. I know it's a crazy time for that now with guys. Just even this time of year is particularly crazy for guys entering the transfer portal. We talked to the, Brian Ham, the new Yale coach. Ivies can basically not use the transfer portal. We talked to the UMass coach last week. He said he's not really looking to bring in a lot of transfers. He kind of wants to develop the guys from freshman year on. UConn obviously does it differently. They they had eight of their nine starters last year were guys that transferred. What's your philosophy? And uh, Because obviously the academic piece is important at BC too. Yeah, there's a couple different models you can go with it. I mean, you talk to some coaches around the ACC, the SEC, and different places, they'll just flat out say, like, our job's not player development anymore. It's <clears throat> hit the portal and get guys in that can do it and if they can't get them out of here. And, and then there's other places that look at, like you said, we're going to stick with the freshmen and, and try to develop our guys that are here. To me, for us, for a multitude of reasons, we are going to – you can't ignore the transfer portal. But I also think you have to, in general, know what you're really good at. And we have shown the ability to develop players, like that we have shown – that player development can be is something that we are we can do at an elite level. So bringing in kids that we believe they have the ability to be high end drafts and really good players in college, and then use the transfer portal along the way to help maybe fill some gaps. We've had a lot of success with graduate students, so I think it's it, it will be a piece of our recruiting. And and one of the things too is it's it's something that we factor in. One of the weird things that is turned that the transfer portal has turned to is it, it. And I'm not, I am not an everybody gets a trophy guy. I'm not, but but at the same time. This idea that you just can use the transfer portal to always upgrade anything you have and, and, and then somebody else is going to be out. <clears throat> I'm not sure that goes to the core of what college athletics should be. And I understand it's where things are going and I, and I get it. But I think, I, think you, I think we at least can do a really good job of developing our guys, helping them grow, helping them get better. And then, like I said, that transfer portal can fill some slots, fill some holes, plug in where, we, where they need just back to the you know, in tandem with the the recruiting against the ACC and also the transfer portal. When you guys are going after a, a player, and I'm sure that you're also looking at what other schools might be interested in him or he, that player might be interested in. Do you guys feel like you're competing against more schools that have similar academic profiles? So in the ACC, maybe it's Duke and Wake Forest as opposed to Miami and, and Clemson, right? I mean, those schools are probably more in line than with what you're than than and what you and Duke and, and Wake Forest might be. I'm just I'm curious how much do you guys kind of push the academic piece during your recruiting pitch? Yes, yeah, it's, it's critically important. So yeah, I mean we tend to spend more time recruiting against elite academic schools. And and I think part of it is if the academics, if this degree is not part of what the kids looking for, then this won't be appealing to them. And I don't want to I don't want to hide anything. I want the kid that takes pride. I want a kid that takes pride in how hard it's going to be academically and what that's going to help them become both when they're here and when they leave, right? The kid that looks at the academics here as that's going to be really hard. I don't think I want that. He's not going to be successful here. The kid that looks at the academics, 
here is it's going to be really hard. And look what I'm going to become. Look at the person. Look at the look how it's going to help me on the baseball field. Our guys. One of the things our guys talk about when they get to professional baseball is how easy it feels because like they're so prepared on the field. They're so prepared. And I don't mean that professional baseball is easy. I don't mean it like that. But they just feel like they've worked so hard to prepare themselves on the field that they're prepared on the field. And they're so used to having the academics going on as well that when they get there, it's part of why they can they can have success. And especially nowadays when with where we're going in analytics, with where we're going with technology in professional baseball, the ability to take in information, process it, and utilize it in different areas – it's going to be critically important and is critically important for these guys getting the big leagues, right? Whether you're talking about diving into track man data as far as your player development or diving into scouting reports and how we're going to get this guy out or how you're going to attack this pitcher. So for those that kid that knows and understands the value, it's the same thing that we talk about when you talk about playing in the ACC and playing in the Northeast. The kid that looks at it and says, it's going to be hard there, I'm all in. Right, the kids, the kids that run towards the challenge instead of run away for it from them. Those are the kids that we recruit. BC's had a, a fair amount of turnover with athletic directors over the last few years. Anyway, I had somebody; it wasn't on the baseball staff, but another coaching staff at BC say that's been a little bit unsettling because priorities change. At first, it was keeping kids healthy during the pandemic. Then, is it wins and losses? Is it? And it's been tough to kind of figure out each AD's individual philosophy and value system what has that been like for you to kind of manage that over the last few years yeah it's it's been a there's pluses and minus to it there are things about it that have been challenging right there is always a what is our our mission never changes and i think one of the things that makes it easier for me having gone to bc having worked here for a while now i believe in who we are at our core i believe in our mission as a university i believe in the idea of a Jesuit education and how our athletics department and how our teams can serve, can serve that mission. So in that way, in those ways, it's never really changed. The advantages are I've been able to be around some great people and some great leaders and people that Martin Jarman and Pat Kraft, who I consider friends and stay in touch with. And so you know that part of it, and I've been able to learn from some great people along the way. There have been some cool things and some advantages. And sometimes, yeah, it's like, all right, well, this was a priority. Is this going to continue to be a priority? Or we had this plan, are we going to... And you have to pivot. But I don't think that's that different. I don't think it's that different than a lot of things in life and people running businesses. I mean, those people run into those type of things all the time. And so there are pluses and minuses, but I am excited about where we're going. Al is certainly running rampant across college athletics. Maybe not... Still, it's definitely started in baseball across the board overall, maybe more so in other sports like football and basketball. We got Deion Sanders pretty much championing NIL on the football scene. But I'm curious from your perspective, maybe not necessarily only at Boston, in college, but overall, how have you kind of seen an impact the recruiting landscape in any way, shape, or form in terms of if you're trying to recruit a player, but that player might have a deal lined up someplace else or, or vice versa? Has that kind of infiltrated your guys' recruiting strategy at all in terms of how it's impacted the way that you can go after players? Not, not tremendously yet. We're starting to see it come. It's a little bit of a weird time. I mean, for a couple things. One, Massachusetts doesn't have a state law, so that affects what can happen from an NIL perspective because in some ways there's not a governing body nationally giving us all the rules. So that makes it a touch tricky times. Two, the arguments for the, some of the good things of name, image, and likeness I agree with. Why was the kid in the band able to profit off of his name, image, and likeness on whatever social media platform they're using, but the kid playing baseball or basketball couldn't, right? So I'm completely on board with that. I do think one of the hard things 
I think we've got to be a little bit careful in general. If what we're trying to do, I mean, it's all about winning, and I get it, but we're also teaching life lessons through sports to kids. We've got to be a little bit careful paying kids for community service, I think, is not a great lesson to always be teaching. So I think we've got to be a little bit careful for that. So I think, to me, it's part of, the, it's part of college athletics. It's, it's where we're going. It's getting a little bit professionalized as we move forward. And so you, have to, you, you look at what are your plans and how do you embrace it? How do you embrace it within, well, one, within the rules, and two, within the core values of, of your program and your university. And I think that's, we've got some really cool things. We do have a collective starting, Friends of the Heights, and, and we've started talking to them and working with them. And we do have some companies that we're starting discussions with. And we are looking as we go forward and as we continue to build this. To I would like our program down the road to be able to use NIL uh, in ways that will help these guys, one, benefit financially, but more importantly, as importantly, benefit the rest of their lives and have, help them grow and develop. I mean, that, that to me is a long-term vision as we start to put ideas together. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England baseball? New England Baseball Journal and BaseballJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England baseball scene. Have every issue of New England Baseball Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to BaseballJournal.com to receive baseball coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school, Division One, Two, and Three colleges, showcases, rankings, and much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to BaseballJournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Baseball Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. You've had a, a new recruiting coordinator who came from uh, University of Rhode Island, Kevin Vance, came on, what was it, before last season? Mm-hmm. Yeah, before last season. How is your? How are you working differently with your recruiting coordinator now that he's come aboard, and how is the his philosophy different or changed or evolved? Yeah, well, he's Kevin's doing a really, really good job. It's, he did a great job recruiting at the University of Rhode Island. They were a touch more regionalized. I don't mean that as knock. I mean it in a positive way. It's they're the state school, and then he was doing an, an amazing job both in Rhode Island in the Northeast, in New England and the Northeast. It's it's a bit more national for us. So so for him, sort of as we sort of attack different parts of the country, we always focus on the Northeast hard. California is a place that we're having success, and we've ha- have had success, and and we will always have a national recruiting base. So for him coming in and growing and learning sort of what's our message as opposed to the message at URI, you, know, you just, every every school, every time you change schools and go to a different school, it's about finding the kids that are the right fit for that school. And he's doing an unbelievable job, his communication with the kids and his organization for our recruiting. And it was a bit of a crazy time coming into it because we're coming in right out of COVID. And so how, and then also just re-looking at, and you, you constantly have to be looking at how is the internet, social media, like how is that going to factor into your message going out and how you are taking in information as you both as you build out your board and as you dive into the kids on your board. 
The NCAA is uh, facing another antitrust lawsuit, this time from volunteer coaches, uh, volunteer baseball coaches specifically. The volunteer baseball coaches coming together pretty much saying that the, the NCAA is price-fixing them at being paid $0, mm. which uh, which potentially is against the law on top of limiting the amount of paid staffers that the baseball, baseball program can have. There's a lot of, been a lot of momentum in Division One baseball towards having an additional paid assistant on staff. I'm curious if that will turn into kind of a new playing field almost for competition between programs, do you think, about those that can offer more? full-time paid assistance and just speak to speak to being as a head coach at a program the advantages and disadvantages that you hope that provides a program yeah so it's getting the lawsuits <laughs> tend to be they seem to be building up <laughs> right the ones you have to keep in touch with you also have i mean there's there's the name image and law, name image likeness lawsuits you have the potential for unionization down the road our collegiate athletes employees and now this the the volunteer coaches and and we, meaning as an industry, we've been through this before. I think it was, I want to say 30, 30 years ago about. College baseball used to have what was called a restricted earnings coach. And there was a lawsuit about that. And that's how we got to the volunteer coach. They said, okay, well, if we can't restrict their, can't restrict their earnings, then there's no earnings. And that's how it got to the volunteer coach. And now there's a lawsuit about that. And it's weird to think things are changing so rapidly around college athletics that being nimble and being able to pivot are critically important because you're trying to come up with solutions to problems that you don't know the you don't know they're going to come and you don't know what the answer is going to be you don't know what the rules are going to be so yeah it is making things a little bit crazy now for as far as retaining talented coaches and keep them yeah the the market's going to get bigger there's going to be more paid coaches out there you're going to be competing against other schools to, to keep your coaches and i think that's a good thing, right? Competition is always a good thing. How that is going to affect the Northeast, I'm not sure. I think we'll be in a good spot. We'll always be in a good spot. I do want to make sure whatever we're doing across college baseball, we're keeping the game at the center, at the heart of all our decisions. I, I want to make sure that we don't, as a game, do things down the road that cause some college presidents to look and say, we don't know if we could do all this stuff, we're not going to keep baseball. That's any time anytime a, a college baseball program gets dropped, it's not good for our game both our game and college baseball and the game of baseball in general. So I do I do want to make sure that we're, we want to push the top, we want to push the envelope and grow the game and have more coaches and have better players and all that stuff and also make sure we're having as many programs playing college baseball as possible. We're like, we're, you know, we're not in a league that you worry about anybody dropping programs and at BC we're not worried about dropping a program, but there are places around the country that have recently dropped baseball and you hope that doesn't happen going forward. My, my only follow-up to the volunteer question is, is that I don't think, it, I think it's fair to say that Many people perceive that the large conferences, of course, more or less run the NCAA, right? Sure. The, the huge influence. And when we talk about volunteer coaches, the volunteer coach at X school may not be the volunteer, same as a volunteer coach at a major Power 5 school that is not actually making $0. They're probably making closer to maybe, not six figures, but they're certainly doing well for themselves for and sure. have a family. And, and I'm curious whether you think that could have an impact on maybe volunteer coaches that really are maybe making nothing or maybe only making a couple thousand dollars off camps and clinics are kind of being out-influenced by larger schools that maybe have more easier opportunities for finances for their volunteer coaches. Yeah, for sure. Right, the... The resources in the ACC and the SEC are larger than a lot of other coaches. So is it going to influence? Is it going to hurt? I mean, I mean, I was a volunteer right out of professional baseball. So is it going to hurt some of those guys? Yes. But the, the flip side is just because you're allowed to pay that spot doesn't mean you have to. Right? So some of the guys that are in volunteer spots now, that that will become a paid spot. I mean, some programs, it'll just stay as an unpaid spot. Right? The, the law is not going to say you have to pay that guy. It just says you can pay that guy. Or, or woman. Man or woman. So I think that's the... I think that's the key. Right? There are going to be some programs that are still going to have to figure out and and, and figure out the camp stipend and right and, and work on the, the 
both internal and external camps within your program. In other places, yeah. But that's kind of how ha- it's already kind of happening. So I just I don't think it's going to alter it as much as we think. The one thing I always find interesting with these roster construction is every year there always seems to be the, the top high-end draft picks. This year you have Joe Vitrano and Travis Honeyman. Cam Leary's a, a draft prospect too. But you also have freshmen starting for you. Last year it was a Sam McNulty and who else? Sean Hart was a, a mm-hmm. big-time pitcher for you. Uh, Luke DeLongchamp got some starts for you. Do you see any guys this year? I know Adonis Guzman was a really high-end prospect coming out of prep school. Do you see any freshman contributors this year? Yeah, I do. I think this freshman class has a chance to be really, really good. You talked about Adonis. Adonis is going to be special. Owen DeShazo and Kyle Wolf in our infield both have a chance to be impact, impact guys. Cole Mercado, an outfielder from New Jersey, I think has a chance to really, really help us. And I think there's there's guys on the mound as well. AJ Calaruso, Bobby Chacoin, off the top of my head, are, are two freshman arms that we think can impact. So I think what you're talking about right there, that idea that we have had, we, we have freshmen All-Americans come out of this program, but you have freshmen come in and, and impact and impact our team and our roster. While at the same time, some of these guys, Travis Honeyman is going to be a first-round pick. Travis wasn't ready as a freshman for, for a multitude of reasons, right? So some of these guys that can come in and impact and then develop and become really high draft picks. And sometimes you need those guys that, that just are going to scuffle for whatever reason freshman year. Travis and I have, have talked about it where, like, you could see how special Travis was going to be as a freshman. Mm-hmm. But he had some growth and development on and off the field that we had sort of helped him, and, and he decided he was going to really commit himself to, and with the idea that we always thought the, the the top end of who he could become would be really, really special. So that's kind of the mix, right? And that's how you sort of build your depth and how you continue to move this program forward. If you have from last year, last year we had too many freshmen playing all the time in a scenario where we'd gotten hit by the, the year before, which we knew was going to happen. We knew that going into last year we were going to be young and inexperienced, and we just had so many upperclassmen injured in kind of weird injuries mm-hmm. last year. There was too many, too much inexperience on the field, and that's never a good thing. The thing I like about this team is there are going to be some freshmen impacting. There's really good experience on the field. It's, it's a much better mix, the type of mix you'd like to have to have a, a team that can make some noise. Mm. I'm just curious your perspective. has nothing to do with Boston College, but I'm curious your perspective on Olivia Pichardo being the first female to make a, a men's baseball roster, playing, of course, at Brown University. Huge news. It's made national news, worldwide news. In general, I'm just curious, you know, your thoughts. So it's funny. I actually got to know her. She had emailed us a couple of years ago saying she wanted to play college baseball and sent some videos, and I just called her and, and talked to her about it, and and. We ended up staying in touch throughout the process, knowing and, and being able to to see some video and talk to her. We didn't believe that the ACC was going to be a good fit for her of where she was going to be able to, to impact, especially early in her career. But So I've actually gotten to know her and talked to her all the I texted her the other day when I saw she made the team to say congratulations. So, I mean, I'm really happy for her. I'm really proud of her. And to see, I mean, I, my little girl, I don't know if she's going to want to play baseball or not, but, you know, now she has someone to look up to that... If she decides baseball is what she wants to do, she'll be able she'll she will be able to to see somebody. We we did some stuff. There's a group called Baseball for All. We hosted them on our field last year, which is women's baseball, girls and women's baseball, and they ran an event on our field last year. They did an unbelievable job. So being able to help and, and move that along is is special. And, and we in New England we have an unbelievable role model. One of the top women executives in baseball is right here, Raquel Ferreira, right here with the Red Sox. Who's I mean she's brilliant and 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 is somebody that we all should look up to. Wanted to ask, I think you were alluding to earlier South Relic when you said uh, another guy who might make it to the big leagues this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he seems like he's on the fast track. He was already putting up numbers in AAA last year. 
Is there something about him, do you think? He just seems, whatever he does, wherever he goes, he's at the top pretty quickly. What is it about him, do you think, that maybe led to his rise, hopefully to the big leagues this year, faster than most people get there? I mean, so you have the physical attributes, right? I mean, the the obvious strength, speed, athleticism. But a lot of people have those. I think the other thing that Sal has, a couple things that Sal have, the character makeup off the field and how that filters to his life on the field is it's off the charts. The I was having, even in his draft year, I was having scouts after their meetings, and he would meet, at that point, they were all Zoom, but like, we meet with scouts and scouting directors and GMs, and I would get a lot of texts afterwards being like, is that real? Like, is this makeup that good? Is this, and I'm like, yeah, it is. And so the thing, the thing about Sal is he's just going to figure out a way to beat you. And that's, our guys used to talk about it here, when he, like, maybe Cody's swing might have been a little prettier at times, right? Mm-hmm. But everybody knew Sal, and, and Cody had a knack for getting a big hit and helping you win, doing all those things. But even Cody would tell you, like, Sal's just, he's just going to figure out a way to beat you. Like, he just, he's just that kid. And that's the first thing. And then his ability to, to see challenges, whatever the next challenge is, and kind of figure out what it is he has to worry about. He does not get caught up in the external and the noise and the non-controllables. He's just, you know, here's the next challenge, and what do I have to do? And then on top of that, he's so team-based. All he cares about is helping the team win. So I think you kind of put all those things together, and he just keeps keeps moving along and getting himself in a position where, like you said, he's got a chance to impact that roster. And I mean, there are early places talking to him about a potential Rookie of the Year type candidates. Mm-hmm. And then Jake Lou just got put on the forty man with with the Nationals, so that those two guys are right on the verge. And I also believe we're going to see Donovan Casey. Donovan Casey was in the big leagues last year, and then back down at the end. I think we're going to see him back next year as well. You guys made the Super Regionals in 2016. You got to, to Game 3 against Miami. I'm just curious, having been there, been in that spot ever since then and going forward, now that you, after experiencing that, how antsy does it get? How impatient do you get in terms of how close you were to Omaha, what it's like to compete at that very high level where you're playing as one of the best 16 teams in the country at that point? How do you kind of stay tunneled and focused because you've been there before and I know you want to get back there so how do you stay in the moment and take it day by day and not get overly frustrated when maybe a season or games don't go your way one of the awesome parts about my job in trying to to lead a group of of young men is they hold me accountable right that that I have to be able what I'm trying to teach them and what they're teaching me along the way is exactly some of those lessons so I can Stop sometimes when I start getting, whether it's impatient. We all know and understand that growth is not always linear, right? Personal development program, it's not, it's not linear. It's not talk to people building businesses. It's just not how things go. It's not linear. So I can have those conversations with my players when they're growing and getting better and then they take a step back in their development for whatever reason or have to take a step back to try to move forward. So in some ways, the lessons that we're trying to teach those guys hold me accountable, which is awesome. And I think about... The total development, I talk about going back to, to athletic directors, I, when, when Gene DiFilippo hired me, I remember he sat down and said to me, I need you to build us a baseball program. At that point, we were with where our facilities were, where our resources were. We'd had a couple years before that, they'd been in regional, but he wanted this, he, he, he told me, and like I said, it impacted me, I need you to build us a program. So the plan was sort of early on showing, in some ways, like again, I use the analogy of building a business all the time, as proof of comp. Proof of concept. Can we consistently put out high round draft picks and big leagues out of here? Can we show that we can compete at the highest level and be there one win away from Omaha? Can we get the fundraising and the and the momentum built to get 
phase one of the facility built, Harrington Athletics, and then phase two with the Pete Frady Center. Can we continue to build this momentum to get to this point where people believe in the program enough to invest like we have the last couple of years? So, yes, am I impatient? Yes. Do I believe that we are going to be hosting regionals at the Harrington Athletic Village? Do I believe that we're going to be in Omaha here? Yes, I do with all my heart. And do I believe we have a chance to do it this year? And then I believe that we're a program that we will have the ability to go now going forward. And then it's just a, a matter of now staying tunnel visioned, now worrying about right, where are we right now, what are we doing, how can we help this team get there. And then when we move on to next year, regardless of where we end up, now how do we focus on getting that team to Omaha and then, and then going forward. And it's a hard balance, right, because you want to talk about going to Omaha, but you can't miss the steps that you need to, to do along the way. But I don't want to shy away from talking about the fact that that is a goal for this program. I've, my last question, I've had a lot of great coaches and talked to a lot of great coaches, and the common theme between them all seems to be like they like to be under control, and this next month, I would imagine, is just probably torture for a lot of college coaches when they've trained with their players all the way through December, and now all of a sudden, you know, they, they're going to go way off on their own. You said BC guys are generally very responsible about that. But how much control do you have over the program? Do you say, hey, this is how many swings I want you to take this day? These are the eight lifts I want you to do this day? Or do you, are you a little bit more hands-off and say, hey, I trust you guys know what to do? Well, I think there's a balance, right? And you think about, you don't, I don't ever want to, and, and, and the personality of head coaches, like you said, is tending to want to control. I think one of the really valuable lessons that having your own kids teaches you is you have a lot less control over things than you would like to imagine. So the the balance of here's the structure, here's the vision, here's the plan, and then how do you within I don't wanna I don't wanna be somebody who micromanages my the assistant our assistant coaches. I don't wanna be somebody who, who micromanages the players, but you wanna give them the structure to allow them to be successful. So I, I don't believe in, I mean, pitching's a touch different because you do need to limit the number of pitches. That's a touch different, but but honestly, I mean, that's that's Kevin doing that. And I don't want to tell them the exact number of swings that each kid has. Tyler's going to manage that, but even that, some there are some kids, generally with our guys, the bigger issue is that's enough for today. Mm-hmm. That's actually a thing that we have to, to focus on with our guys. Like, you got your work done. They're, just, they're in the Pete Frady Center. They want to be there all the time. They're on... They're in the cages. They're on hit tracks. They're doing. They're on the machines. And just and so, so we do have to sometimes say, okay, here was the work you've done. If you want some more, go ahead. But let's keep an eye on it. But that balance of of like I said, I don't. I don't. I don't want everybody in our program to be the same. I want everybody to have the space to be themselves. Again, going back to to the to how our program serves the mission. The idea in the Jesuit education of helping everybody find out who their authentic self is. It's critically important to me. We talk about identity on the baseball field. It's a very similar idea. So, yeah, how do you help with their development? How do you talk to them about what they need to do to get there? And then how do you help them be themselves within that framework? All right. Well, Coach, thank you so much. I know it's a crazy time of year with a million things to do in December, so I really appreciate you taking the time to come and uh, sit with us in studio today. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, and uh, Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Right on. Thanks to BC coach Mike Gambino for joining us on the Base Path Podcast. Rate, review, subscribe to the Base Path Podcast on your preferred platform. Thanks to our producer, David Yaz. The Base Path Podcast is a Siemens Media production.